Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. Are Republicans still the party of small government? As we move closer to elections this fall, many voters are not so sure. In his new book, Buck Wild, Director of Budget Studies Stephen Slavinsky ponders what happened to Ronald Reagan's vision of limited government. Your new book comes out in August. Can you tell us about it? Sure. The book is titled Buck Wild, How Republicans Broke the Bank and Became a Party of Big Government. What I'm trying to do in the book is, in a sense, tell the story of how the Republican Party lost their way, in a sense, to try to explain the tailspin they're in politically right now. Part of the problem is that uh, they've abandoned the goals of limited government, the kind of thing they used to stand for under Ronald Reagan, and even before that, uh, when Barry Goldwater was the candidate back in 1964. And you, of course, did see some of this rhetoric in 1994 during the so-called Republican Revolution. What's happened since then, however, has been a shift uh, ideologically within the Republican Party. And I would argue it actually started occurring even before George W. Bush came into office. It was kicked into overdrive once Bush got into office. But as the Cato Institute and I have pointed out numerous times in our publications, and we were one of the first, for instance, to point out that George Bush is the biggest spender since Lyndon Johnson, you see this trend in the numbers. And it's a very disheartening trend, not just to us as libertarians, but I think generally to voters uh, who understand that uh, if we're in a deficit situation, the last thing you want to do is dig the hole deeper by spending more money. I think that's going to have political ramifications, not just in 2006, but also 2008. And so the book is, in a sense, an attempt to try to explain why this all happened. It's an ironic trend, too, that it's the Republicans and not the usually tax-and-spend-happy Democrats who got us into this budget mess. How did that happen? I think there's a few elements uh, to explain why this occurred. Uh, The first is, I think, the success in actually balancing the budget back in 1997. Once you no longer had to balance the budget, or more specifically, once you no longer had the deficit as the boogeyman, Republicans lost, in a sense, their political bargaining chip. They can no longer say, well, if we keep spending more money, the deficit's going to get bigger. Well, it wasn't going to get bigger because the surplus kept going up and up and up. It wasn't really because... Republicans were all that good at restraining spending. Uh, We can talk about a little later what sort of political dynamic was going on during the Clinton years that allowed the budget to be balanced. But once it was balanced, Republicans lost the nerve to argue for spending cuts. They now had a balanced budget and they figured, let's go ahead and spend more money on on our guys, on the corporations, on the sorts of programs we want to spend money on. Uh, And then the second element, I think, was piggybacking on that, was the election of George W. Bush and this idea of compassionate conservatism, the idea that uh, we don't have to say no to any sort of constituent interests. The goal would be to, in a sense, expand the welfare state and perhaps even do it better than the Democrats did. Uh, And so I think those two things together, uh, this political shift and this ideological shift, uh, is what led to the problems we're seeing now. A lot of uh, ink has been spilled in the media about the Abramoff scandal and the ethics scandals and such that have been plaguing the Republican Party. I think the main root of this, that's just simply a symptom, the main root of this is the disease of uh, big government. They embraced big government. And once you have the power at your disposal to hand out all sorts of favors through appropriations bills and through regulations, then you get into this position where you're easily bought off. P.G. O'Rourke has a great quote. He says, once government can decide what's bought and sold, the first thing to be bought and sold are politicians. That's exactly what you're seeing, I think, in the Republican Party today. Could you actually address how Clinton was able to balance the budget and why we can't do that today? I would argue it really had nothing to do with Clinton. 
The reason we had a balanced budget in the late 90s was because of what political scientists called divided government. You had a Democrat in the White House and you had Republicans in Congress. The one thing you can count on in Washington today, as in Washington 10 years ago, is, is strict partisanship. As long as the other guys do in the proposing of the big government programs, you can depend upon Republicans to fight against them. Now, they don't want to swing a punch anymore. They're afraid of hitting their own colleagues. Over the past 40 years, you see a pattern. It's really quite stunning. The average annual rate of real per capita government expenditures grows twice as fast under united government as it does under divided government. It's also worth pointing out that united government's a very rare thing. It's only occurred under three presidents, Lyndon Johnson, Jimmy Carter, and now George W. Bush. And so again, we're dealing with a very odd scenario. So in some ways, you really can't blame Republican strategists for thinking, great, we finally have the chance to limit government once we have the White House and Congress under our control. Republicans haven't ever had that situation. Now that they do, it's been shown that it doesn't really matter much. In fact, if anything, it only applies more pressure on the accelerator of government spending. Many liberals have been saying for a while that Bush's tax cuts are responsible for the budget deficit, and that instead of cutting programs to balance the budget, Bush should raise taxes. This all comes down to an idea that Republicans have put forward, the idea that you can starve the beast by cutting taxes. As Cato's own Bill Niskanen has pointed out, that doesn't work. There's no, as they say statistically, there's no correlation between government spending and government revenues. Uh, but I would also say that uh, government's appetites uh, are far in excess of what they collect in revenue. So if you deprive it of revenue, uh, or as a friend of mine used to say, you really can't starve the beast because once you take its food away, it'll just start eating the villagers. I think that's what you're seeing now if you consider the villagers to be future Americans who are being saddled with this debt. If you look at where the deficit's actually gone, you discover that 60% of it is directly attributable to increased spending. Only 40% of it, at best, is a result of either tax cuts or uh, declines in economic growth. And so you really can't say the Bush tax cuts were the entire cause of the deficit problem. And I think if you increase taxes to try to paper over the deficit difference now, uh, all you're going to do is, in this current circumstance of united government, you're going to give more fuel to government spending. And so as a result, uh, you're sort of burned either way. If you cut taxes, you get bigger deficits. But if you increase taxes, you're going to get more spending. And so the problem really is spending. Spending is the root of all of this problem. And I think getting control over spending is really where you need to be focusing the efforts. Unfortunately, Republicans don't seem that eager to do that. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.